Welcome to Women's Leadership Today. I'm your host, Michelle Myers. Today we're talking with Nicole Regal, Head of Enterprise Education Strategy at the Institutes. As Head of Enterprise Education Strategy at the Institutes, Nicole focuses on launching new enterprise education initiatives and growing current initiatives across more than 15 business units. She leads the internal innovation and transformation team, oversees the Institute's Enterprise Education Department, and also serves as president of the board of the Wharton Eschrick Museum. Welcome, Nicole. Thanks, Michelle. It's great to be here. We appreciate you joining us. And Nicole, can you share a bit more about your professional journey with us? Sure, I'd be happy to. So my background has been basically in marketing and operations, and I've spent um, probably the better part of the last 20 years running different divisions at different at two different companies. Um, in many cases, um, I was asked to step in to take over a division um, because I think in many cases, I'm identified as a person who gets things done. I like to think of that as my strength or superpower. And so that, as a result, has really allowed me to learn different things, have different experiences. And as I like to say, in the company that I worked for previously, we would talk a lot about if you were, if you did well, you were reported with, rewarded with more challenging things. And so my career, I think every time I've taken something new on has been a new challenge. Um, I would like to mention though, too, that I don't think I'd be where I am in my career right now if it weren't for volunteer opportunities. So at, earlier in my career, um, I had the opportunity to volunteer at my college. Uh, you mentioned a museum where I currently serve as the board, uh, as the board president um, those opportunities have really allowed me to flex my leadership muscles and try things out outside of the work environment. And if you think about it, it's much lower risk, right? I'm not, I'm, there's no annual review. My salary doesn't depend on it. Um, I can get feedback from my peers with whom I'm volunteering. And so that has really shaped and I think helped me expand and, or, and grow in my career um, more so than it would have been if I had just relied on my work experiences. So I definitely take that as part of my professional journey. And where was your favorite place that you volunteered? All of them have been good opportunities, but I've done a lot of volunteer work for my college. And I think that's near and dear to my heart. When I graduated, I knew I'd probably be an active volunteer. And I, I was, have been and continue to be active in volunteering there. No, I agree. Volunteering definitely gives us a lot of opportunities and unique perspectives that our traditional careers might. And plus, it's a great way to explore other interests, especially like you said, when you're in college, yeah. you might find new passions that you didn't even know you had before. Exactly, exactly. Well, Nicole, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, but thank you for sharing your um, your background with us. Sure. And as you know, uh, in recognition of International Women's Day, our theme for this month is equity. And I know this is an important focus for your organization you know, and the terms equality and equity often seem to be used interchangeably. However, there certainly are important differences between these two terms. Nicole, what are the differences between these two ideas? Sure, Michelle, I'm glad that you asked. And it wasn't until I really, I don't think I really thought about the difference between the two of them. And when you and I were preparing for this conversation, we were using those terms equally, or we, we talked about using them kind of interchangeably. 
And upon doing some more research, I realized that that was an oversight um, on my part, certainly. And so uh, I've learned something just in prepping for this. So when we talk about equality, we're talking about giving an individual or a group of people the same resources and opportunities, assuming that they all need the same resources and opportunities. But when we talk about equity, it recognizes that each person might have a different, different set of circumstances um, and that needs different resources or opportunities in order to reach that equal outcome. And so there's this great graphic that um, I came across um, and I'm just gonna talk through what that graphic looks like because I think it illustrates the point pretty well. And so you've got, imagine that you've got a group of people who are looking at a baseball field, but there's a wall that separates them or a fence that separates them. And so there's um, a man, and as you can see in the graphic, there's a man who is um, standing on the left-hand side, let me say, in the equality side, there's a man standing on a box. Um, there's a girl standing on a box, and then there's a person in a wheelchair next to a box. And all of those boxes are the same height. Um, and that is what equality is. We've given, the, we've given the box to all three of them, but it is not serving um, the need. Ultimately, they are not uh, reaching, they're not all able to see over the fence and see the baseball game. So if you look at the equity, the image for equity, the man is tall enough to see over the fence. So he doesn't need a box. The girl needs a taller box. So now she's been given a taller box to stand on. And then the person in the wheelchair has actually been given a ramp. So that person can get to the top of the ramp and then see over the fence. So now all three people can see over the fence, but they've been given different resources. One person didn't need a box. Another person needed a taller box. And the third person actually needed a ramp. And so if you think about, if you think about that, it just, it's a great way to illustrate how um, the difference between those two words and the importance of the difference between those two words. I definitely think we do need to shift the way that we look at these two terms, two terms for sure. And there are different differences. And I think we're starting to see organizations uh, make that shift more and more. And as we start to see more baby boomer, boomers and even Gen Xers retiring and taking their knowledge with them, essentially creating a talent gap, do you see this as an opportunity for employers to create more equitable recruiting and hiring practices? hundred uh, percent, yes. Um, there's no question about that. And, and absolutely, there's a, there's a need, it's an opportunity, and there's actually a need um, I think with many industries, and um, I work for uh, I work for the institutes, which, as you mentioned earlier, is a global not-for-profit that's comprised of a diverse set of business units who focus on educating, elevating, and connecting risk and insurance professionals. So this so we're talking about the insurance and risk industry, basically. We know that we cannot um, fill all the jobs with the people that are currently working in those positions, and so. It's really an opportunity for, uh, for us to say, well, let's think about things differently. How do we create, uh, as you said, more equitable recruiting and hiring practices? And when we think about being equitable, means that it's not a one size fits all. We've got to look at different ways to recruit different people and, because we're not going to be able to fill that talent cap mm -hmm. if we can't. So that means creativity in how you recruit people, but it also is creativity in how you train and retain that talent um, because certainly once you've got them in there, you don't want to lose them as well. I, I do think too that um, culture is extremely important. I mean, we hear about that a lot. Um, when I took the position that I uh, did initially at the institutes, 
Um, I was looking for a company where I felt that there's a really strong cultural fit. And I was really fortunate to find one. And we at the Institute um, live our culture daily. Um, it is what drives a lot of the decisions that we make. I was literally just in a meeting where we were talking about how important it is to put the customer first, which is one of our, which is one of our values. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's so important to us uh, that we, every time, every person who interviews at our company actually goes through a culture interview. So we've identified mm -hmm. um, a set of people with, throughout the organization who pair up and their, their responsibility is to just interview a person and try and figure out whether there'll be a cultural fit. They don't come from the department that they're being, the person's being hired into. It is literally asking a series of questions to say, will this person work well within how we've identified culture at the institutes? And it has been hugely helpful. Um, just since we put that, that into place, we've we've won best of Philadelphia places to work in like seven out of the last eight years. And this year, we our company was. Um, given the great honor of winning best places to work across the United States. And so a lot of that is, is culture driven. So we take that very seriously. So I think when I, we think about um, what can we do to make it more equitable, it's, it's finding those people that fit in your culture as well and doing, and there's so much that you can do to make that happen. I really like what you're saying about culture. And that's really fascinating that you actually build that into your interviewing process. Mm -hmm. And what is the main shaper of your culture? Is it a written plan or is how, how formal is it? I guess is what I'm asking. Great question. So this predates me coming to the institutes, but um, so probably I've been here for close to six years. So I'm going to say seven or eight years ago, there was a push by our senior management team to say, to really identify what our culture is and to, to put it into words. But it didn't start at the top. They actually went out and looked across the organization to say, who are some people who believe who we, they believe are living our culture and got those three or four people together. And they were the ones who actually came up with what our, our five values are. And, as res, and then clearly that went through, I'm sure, much discussion with our senior management team who eventually adopted but it came from within as opposed to coming from top down. And so we, we talk about our values a lot. It's always part of our strategic plan in terms of making sure that everything we do is focused on that. Um, and then we also take the time to uh, identify and focus on a value maybe over a year or two so that we're putting a lot more effort into it. So right now, one of our values is be innovative. And that's something that we know we need to be more innovative, not just in uh, products that we produce, but also in how we come up with solutions for our customers. And so that's something that we're putting more, more thought and emphasis as in particular on in the coming year. Well, that's definitely a very progressive approach to building and maintaining a culture. Yeah. That's, that's great to see. And in addition to creating a very open, engaging culture, what are some other things that employers can do to diversify their workforce and create more opportunities for perhaps underserved communities? Sure. Um, I, I mentioned earlier that, um, it, at least in the industry that we serve, the insurance and risk management industry, we know, um, based on a study that was done in, 2000, in 2021, that over the next 15 years, 50% of our current workforce is going to retire, which leaves about 400,000 jobs that need to be filled. And that right now, less than 25% of the industry is under the age of 35. So we've got to do... I mean, talking specifically about our industry, but it's a pretty big industry. We've got to do more in order to get different people into the workforce. Um, and one of the things that we have focused, that we talk about and focus on 
are where like workforce development programs. So how do you get people who um, may have been in a different industry, may have not, may have a high school education, may not have gone the traditional college route? How do you get them into programs that will give them um, the knowledge and the skills that they need to be successful in this industry? Um, we talk about offering our offering apprenticeship uh, programs. One of our largest brokers in the industry, um, Aon, um, back in 2015, 2016, decided that they were going to do a formal apprenticeship program. And in their case, they're a huge um, international company. They targeted on Chicago, which is their main office, and they said, we're going to focus on bringing people into, the, into our organization who, um, who are hard workers, but who and who, but who also want to learn. And so they built a program where they uh, they work part time. They work part time. They go to school part time to get an associate's degree. But they also but they get paid for a full time opportunity, which is life changing for many of these yeah. people. And so um, I've heard I've heard I have many connect many conversations with the group at Aon, and you hear stories like there are people who have used to have three or four jobs and had no time for their family, and now. They come to work and they've got they they've got more time they've got more stability but they also are getting an education at the same time, and so and and another another area that has been a focus for the industry too is um, ensuring that we tap uh, veterans people who are leaving the military we know that they have really they learn lots of good skills and lots of good traits in the military and how do we get them into our industry as well so I think there's what I'm talking about is not necessarily unique to the insurance industry, but there are ways that the, these, this industry is certainly focused on trying to get different people into the workforce um, and recognizing, too, that not everybody who comes in comes in with the same set of skills. So they're, so we need to be equitable in how do we think about how we provide them training and education to get them up to speed. Yeah, and you were talking about education, which is, I know, something very important um, and near and dear to to you. Uh, what role does education play in equity in the workplace? I, I think you can't have an equitable workplace without education. I mean, we can't assume that everybody who comes into a position knows everything that they need to know, right? And so um, finding the resources, you know, it goes to finding resources and training and opportunities that will help people be successful. Um, anytime you take on a new role, anything, anytime we do something different, I think it's reasonable to assume that you're going to need some sort of education or training in order to level that playing field. In order, you know, you and I could start a job together, right? And we could come from different backgrounds, and um, I might need a whole bunch of training to get me up to speed, like weeks worth. But you might have come from a very similar position and only need a week worth of training. But that's that equitable, I think, making it equitable between the two of us as opposed to the equality where we assume that we all come in and need exactly the same resources. So without question, I think um, in order to have a equity in the workforce, you definitely need to have um, be open to providing education and training. Well, and you make a good point talking about how someone could come in with a certain level of education or skill sets and another might uh, need more additional education to bring them up to speed. Uh, as we move forward and we do start to see more of that, that talent gap that we were talking about earlier, do you think more organizations will take the time and the resources to actually make that investment in those employees that do need a bit more you know, training or, or education to help fill, um, to help fill that gap? Um, 
I, I'm certainly hopeful, particularly since it's the industry that I work in, and specifically in the company that I work for that we're focused on education. But I, I do think, I mean, we've seen, we, um, one of our divisions did a project with uh, an insurance network. So it's basically a bunch of very talented insurance agencies come together to form a network so that they can show resources because they don't typically, agencies don't tend to be very large, but they uh, we did a project with them to build out um, what we call a learning matrix, basically in order to, so you work at an agency, kind of similar to the example I just provided. We both work at the same agency, but we might have different skills. So you go through this learning matrix tool and it will assess what, what uh, education I need versus what education you need in order to kind of get us to the same level, to level set expectations. And so they contracted with us to put together this matrix using our education, but they recognize that um, not only do they need to bring new people into the industry, bring new people into their agencies and get them up to speed, but they also then want to make sure that they're advancing the people who are already there. So it's not just recruiting, it's retention as well. And I think education can be used for that retention piece as well, because you want to advance in your career, we want to make sure you get more education, this tool that I'm talking about also works in, um, in order to ensure that they're getting the knowledge that they need to move to the next level, to move on to a different position within the organization so that they stay there as opposed to mm -hmm. leave and then join another organization because um, then they're back at ground zero at that point in time. Now, that's a very good point that you make, that it's not just a recruiting tool, but also a retention tool. And it's so important for organizations to make their employees feel that they are investing um, in them and want them to be with them for the long term and, and exactly. show their, their value. That's yeah. a good point. Well, Nicole, as we wrap up today, what is something that you feel most employers could be doing better or differently to create more equity within their organizations? Um, so just, I have a few thoughts on that. And one is uh, something that we talk about at the institutes, uh, particularly in our, in our agent and broker group where I used to be involved. We talk about um, equity for all in terms of education. And so it, it's uh, when we look at a, a company where we have a business to business relationship, we want to make sure that we at the institutes are offering solutions to everybody at that company. It's not just say a portion of that company. Mm -hmm. And so we like to, use, we've been using that phrase coined by one of my colleagues, um, equity for all in terms of education. So that that's kind of, that's top of mind. But I also think um, when I think about what we can be doing within uh, within the organization, or sorry, how, how we do things differently, I've got two thoughts really on that. It's um, changing your mindset. Just because we've done things this way all along, doesn't mean we have to do it going forward. And so being open, being thoughtful about how we how we can do things differently because we're not going to succeed and we're um, as an as an organization as a you know as people we're not going to succeed if we don't think do things differently and kind of reinvent our thoughts. And then I also think by um, creating a a culture based organization where culture is driving everything that you do that's and that culture is based on equity, then people who you give the resources and the opportunities to, to be successful are going to create an environment where other people want to work, where people are bringing their best versions mm -hmm. of themselves every day. And that's an environment I know that I want to work for, work in, and I think that most people would as well. Well, thank you, Nicole. That's all the time we have for today. We release two episodes a month, and you can watch us on YouTube and listen to us on your favorite podcast streaming service. Make sure to like, comment and subscribe 
and follow along with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And Nicole, I'd like to thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. Michelle, it's been my pleasure. I thank you for inviting me and I've had a great time talking to you today. Absolutely. And uh, most people don't know, but Nicole and I have known each other for, gosh, almost, what, two decades now? I, I, two so. decades. I think that's right. But thank you again, Nicole. And thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening. Progressive Women's Leadership is passionate about providing the best tools to help you reach your fullest potential. Visit us today at progressivewomensleadership.com for access to workshops, articles, e-guides, and much more to help you further develop your skills and advance your career.